Welcome to the weekly podcast from Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. For more information about Faith Community, please visit our website at www.faithcommunitychurch.net or check us out on Facebook by searching Faith Community Church Janesville. You can also reach us by email at podcast at faithjanesville.org. You can be a part of this ministry and help advance the kingdom by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a five-star review. This helps us spread the word of God in the podcast world, allowing us to better reach more people in the name of Christ. My name is Michael Powers. I'm the youth uh, pastor here. And I just wanted to tell you of something that we do in Clinton at Clinton High School called Release Time. It's our 17th year of doing this program. And in essence, students get to get out of school for an hour every other week. And it falls under religious instruction. But literally, we get to share the gospel with them and serve them a really good meal. And so we are reaching out to you because the, the program that we're doing right now Um, We need some help. We need some help either with people making some food that we can serve to them or maybe donating some money that we can go and purchase food. So if that's something that you're interested in, um, let me know. I'll be standing out in front of the youth room door, or you can just fill out an envelope for the offering and put release time in the memo. There's students that come to this that will never step foot in church. And so to close this out, I want to read to you something. I had a young man that reached out to me this December. He had not been in, uh, I hadn't seen him in about 10, 12 years from the time he was in release time. And he reached out and he just said, listen, he said, I need to meet with you. He said, I know when I was in release time, you probably thought I wasn't listening, but I want you to know I was listening. And some of the things that you shared with me have really made an impact on my life. And can we get together and talk? And so I just reached out to him and asked if he would tell me what release time meant to him. And this is what he said. As a teenager, becoming what I thought it was to be a man, release time came into my life. And I was offered the opportunity to join my classmates on a short van ride to a local church with all the best lunch snacks known to man, where we would talk about God as a collective group. I may have first went for the food, but instead I was captivated by a youth minister and my classmates in their faith in God. This wasn't something that I readily understood and continue to struggle with 10 plus years later, but the presence of God in that room was immense. For at least one hour a week outside of all the nonsense of my teenage years, I felt at peace. I know other kids in that room felt this as well. We didn't all have the opportunity to explore who Christ was with our families, but we were all presented the opportunity to sign up on a sheet and take away the lessons we learned each week and apply them to our lives. At that time, the impact was unknown. Today, the impact is vast. Release time for me gave me time with God that I was longing for. It opened up lines of communication with the Lord, which I didn't think existed prior, and I could talk to God and he could hear what ails me, and he knew and he listened and he cares, and that meant everything. If you'd like to be a part of that, just kind of catch me after the service. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Mike. Well, good morning to all of you. It's good to see you today. Welcome online. Welcome television, radio. We're so glad you're with us today. I want to talk about the ask, seek, knock today, this progressive nature of prayer. And I want to tell you about a time, and I'm talking to the kids now, there was a time, believe it or not, when your mom and dad or your grandma and grandpa wanted to go somewhere that we didn't use what was called GPS. We couldn't talk to our telephones. We couldn't talk to our, you know, our uh, 
system, what do we call it, Navistar, whatever, you know, that comes on. You know what I'm talking about, the council thing? I, I don't, you can tell I don't use that, but we had something that was called a map back in the day. It was actually on paper. It wasn't parchment. It was actually paper. And we'd unfold it, and it would get in the way while we drive, you know, and our wives would have to hold the wheel while we look at the map. And, and uh, it would get you in the vicinity of your location. It wouldn't actually get you there like your fancy GPS does today. It would just get you close to it, and then we would, uh, we would engage in the ask, seek, knock, which for us meant normally you'd stop at a gas station. And it's hard for you to understand this, but we would use gas stations as navigational devices. And so you would stop at a gas station where somebody who worked there who knew the town of the gas station there, and you'd ask them, how do I get to whatever building or home you're going to? And they would direct you towards a tree stump or, you know, the broken sign or whatever and tell you where to turn. And you'd seek it out and you'd get there and you'd knock on the door. And somebody was waiting for you, anticipating you'd come and delighted to see you. It was the ask, seek, and knock approach to traveling. Jesus is talking here about the importance of prayer for the third time in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is an exciting time for us, a little bit of a milestone, because we're actually graduating from the Sermon on the Mount today. We're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount today. And it's been a wonderful journey through the greatest sermon that was ever preached, this Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus returns again to the topic of prayer. And the first thing we learn is that prayer is reciprocal. And I want to, or prayer is, excuse me, prayer is persistent. Prayer is persistent. Prayer is, as we read, ask, seek, and knock, Jesus is going to tell us about this principle today. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Notice the confidence. Notice the the assurance, right? Notice that Jesus doesn't say might, could be, possibly will be. He says will be. For some who ask, receive. No? Not some. How many? Everyone. Everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. So what is Jesus speaking about here? This isn't carte blanche saying anybody ask anything from God and he's this cosmic dispenser of blessing to you. That's not what this is referring to. This is telling us anyone who is seeking to know God, anybody who's seeking to know the will of God, anybody who's seeking to do the will of God, anybody who's seeking to live a kingdom life here on this earth, to you, the door will be opened. To you, God's blessings will manifest. There is persistence in this passage. I've been told, and and wrongly so, by some that if you ask God for more than once for a specific prayer request, that it's a lack of faith on your part. That if you really truly believe God, you'd ask once, and then from then on you would just thank him for his answer. You wouldn't pray a second time, but that's not biblical. That's not a biblical model that we find in Christ. It's not biblical in this passage. And I'll give you a little Greek lesson today. And don't be afraid of this. Everybody's going to understand this. But we'll go back to the board here, and we're going to take a look at this verse in Greek. And I want to draw your attention to those three verbs, ask, seek, and knock. And I want you to see how do all of them end. 
okay? So ask ends with what two letters? Looks like T-E, right? Tau Epsilon, but I will take T-E. And we go to seek. How does seek end? How's that verb end? Same way. Same two letters, Tau Epsilon. Looks like T-E. We go to knock. How does it end? Same way. Looks like T-E. That's significant. In the Greek, that's called the present active imperative. Second tense plural. Second person plural. Present active imperative. Imperative is always a command. Anytime you run across an imperative, it is not a suggestion. It is always a command. The present active means it is now and it's ongoing. It's active. So we can understand this as keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That this becomes a part of our lifestyle, of our prayer life, this persistence that keeps on and keeps on even when one doesn't see a manifestation of what you have prayed for. Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 is facing the cross. A moment that he has told his disciples, his followers would come, but now that time is at hand. And Jesus asked the Father, is there another way? This cup of wrath that I'm doing, is there another way to atone for the sins of the world? And so it says he, he takes Peter, James, and John, and then he goes a little farther and he falls in his face, lays prostrate and says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So there is submission in this prayer. As he contemplates, not, it, and it's not so much, it's the cross, yes, the, the agony of, and the suffering of the cross, but it's being an offering for sin. Become, having the weight of the world's sin placed upon you and to become a sin offering. And so he asks that of the Father, and he comes back, and they're sleeping, and he, they're rebuked because they couldn't stay awake. And he says, the, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Stay awake and pray. And, and he says, he goes back a second time and prayed, my Father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He returns and says the second time the same thing. Either Jesus is demonstrating here a lack of faith, according to that interpretation, or we're called to be persistent in prayer, right? And he goes back, and they're sleeping one more time. Well, this time he doesn't rebuke them. He allows them to sleep, and it says he left them and went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing, right? You know, sometimes you and I will pray, and maybe you've prayed not only the second time or the third time, but you've prayed the 20th time, in the 50th time. Does that mean you don't have faith? No, what it means is the nature of prayer is persistence. Then what happens while we are persistent? Well, that's the second principle, that faith, that prayer is transformative. As you are waiting, as you are praying, you are demonstrating faith because you're continuing to pray and trust even though you don't see. You're exercising patience. You're growing in patience because you want your experience now. You want it to happen now. We call those Pop-Tart prayers. All right? It's kind of what we want here in America, you know, is prayer like a Pop-Tart. 
so that I just kind of put the prayer in and then boom, the answer pops out, right? It's there. And so some of you have had Pop-Tarts, right? I don't personally like Pop-Tarts. I kind of get the impression that I could bury a Pop-Tart in my backyard and dig it up in a couple years and go, oh yeah, my Pop-Tart, you know, it's still here. I'm not sure how good they are for you, but some of you like Pop-Tarts and you like them because they're quick. You know, you don't need any skills. You just put it in the toaster and press the button and boom, out pops breakfast about a minute later, right? The Pop-Tart. And sometimes Pop-Tart prayers, they happen. We had a, and a wonderful Pop-Tart prayer a couple months ago. Laura had that massive stroke and we were in the hospital and the doctor comes in. He says, we can't find a bed. We need a bed with an emergency uh, brain surgeon available and we can't find one. We're looked. All the hospitals are full. I just want you to know that we've been looking for a couple hours now. We can't find one. And so I went over to Ken. I said, Ken, we got to pray. Wait, less than two minutes, Ken? About less than two minutes. Same doctor comes back and says, hey, we found a bed. We've got a hospital. Saved your life. Just like that, boom, popped out prayers. I love popped out prayers. I love when God just, boom, answers your prayers. But that's usually not how prayer works, is it? Jesus goes back a third time. And Jesus might have gone back a fourth time or a fifth time or a sixth time, but we know that something happens after that third time. Jesus receives his answer from the Father. That it is time. There is no other way that he is going to go to the cross. And then he gets up, and it says, knowing all these things were coming upon him, he went forth. He went forth to fulfill his destiny. He went forth to face the cross. But prayer transforms us because that's where we learn perseverance. That's where we learn patience. It's where we learn long-suffering. That's where we learn the, the sovereignty of God versus our humanity. That's, in prayer is where we learn our dependency upon our Creator, that we're not in charge, that He's sovereign and He's in control. And as we wait and as we exercise our faith, we grow and it transforms us from the inside out. Secondly, it teaches in this passage is the nature of God. The nature of God, that he's good, Jesus says. Jesus says to, to them, listen, which of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? This is a rabbinic hyperbole. It's exaggeration to try to prove a point. Of course, if your son asks you for bread, he wants to make a sandwich, you're not going to give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil compared to the perfect Heavenly Father, know how to give good the gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? It's a contrast, not a comparison. He's saying God is so far above your parents. And, and you have this mindset of God. You have this opinion of God that is wrong. You've got a stereotype about the nature of God that needs correcting. In the preference to the same teaching in Luke 11, the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus gives us an introductory to ask, seek, and knock the following parable. He says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. First of all, why does the friend need bread at midnight? Can't this wait? Couldn't you have come at eight o'clock? if you knew you were going to make sandwiches for a lot of people. 
Couldn't you come in the morning? Why do you need to come at midnight? At midnight, I am sleeping. And so the friend, then he explains himself, uh, you know, because the guy doesn't answer the door. He stays out there and he goes, uh, a friend of mine's on a journey and he's come to me and I have no food to offer him. And you're inside going, go away. Go away, it's midnight. Your friend will survive without food for the night. Come back in the morning. I've got to sleep. And he keeps knocking. And he keeps knocking, please. I need, I need the bread now, please. He's hungry now. It's a long journey. Please, please, go away. Please, knock, 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 please. That's what's going on. He says, and suppose the one inside says, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Please, go away. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because apparently at midnight, the friendship doesn't matter as much, right? What matters more than the friendship is sleep. He says, he won't get up because you're his friend, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other words, he finally opens the door, takes the three loaves of bread, throws them out into the street and says, there you go, good night, bam. Goes back to bed, right? What is Jesus trying to teach us? Is Jesus trying to teach us that's God? That he's kind of this grumpy old man who just kind of were an annoyance to him because we keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking, and finally he goes, fine, you know, there's your answer. There's your blessing. All right, leave me alone. This is a contrast, not a comparison. Jesus is saying God is not like the grumpy neighbor. Jesus isn't perturbed. The Father isn't perturbed by your prayers. He's not annoyed by your requests. And he's not wanting to hold back the blessing that you need. This is the importance of understanding the nature of God through prayer. He wants to bless you. If you're seeking his name, you're seeking his will, you want to grow in him, he wants to answer your prayer. He wants to meet you. It's not an annoyance any time of day. Even at midnight, even at 2 a.m., he is available to you. It is a contrast, not a comparison. He's not saying God is like this. He's saying if this annoyed neighbor will respond, how much more will God respond who's nothing at all like your like neighbor who's annoyed with you, right? So he is battling what we call a stereotype of the nature of God. There were a, pl- a plethora of gods to go around in the time of Jesus' day. If you were to look at the crowd he was addressing, and remember, there are thousands of people, and they come from different countries, different cultures. You know, some are travelers and foreigners. And there's the, the ancient Near Eastern gods, the Babylonian gods. There's the, the Roman gods. There's the Greek pantheon of gods. There's all these different gods. And what's common among these gods that they worship, with a small g, is they're all very anthropomorphic. They're all kind of like us, only they're gods. But if you listen to their stories, they get very irritated with people. They, they need to be convinced, kind of, you know, give me the right sacrifice, placate me in this way. Um, 
appease me in this way. One god named Moloch was so detestable he required animal sacrifices before he'd get off the couch and help you, right? And so these Babylonian gods were capricious. They always changed their minds. They, they had temper tantrums. They were killing each other all the time, right? You read their stories, they were terrible gods. They had bad attitudes, and they withheld blessing until you begged and pleaded, and then they'd finally acquiesce to your request. Maybe they'd grant you fertility, so you'd have offspring. Maybe they'd bless your crops. Maybe not. Maybe they'd give you safe travel on your journey. Maybe not. Right? And if you didn't have safe tra- travel, you didn't, didn't conceive, then you'd know you, didn't, you need to offer more. You need to increase your offering, your wailing, your sacrifice to them. Because that's the gods they perceived. And Jesus is saying that's not who God is at all. You know, the, the, we have those stereotypes in our culture today, right? How many times have I heard, or you heard, well, I don't believe the old man, you know, the gray hair and the long beard, you know, uh, up in heaven. I don't believe in that God. And when I have those discussions, I say, I don't either. I mean, that's not a biblical concept of who God is. And I, I've often thought, I hear it so much, and I read it so much, and people who object to Christianity will use that as one of their arguments. I just don't believe the old man in the sky and the gray hair and the beard. And I'm like, where does it come from? And I think it comes from a couple of, of misunderstood scriptures. I think one is in Daniel, where he, the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days, and so they've kind of read into that, the Ancient of Days. Well, if you're Ancient of Days, maybe you got a gray dome, right? But it doesn't mean old there. It's an idiom that simply means the, the source of life, the source of days. It doesn't mean any, it doesn't talk about his beard. It doesn't talk about his hair color or anything like that. So re, they read into the text or in Revelation, somebody had gotten into this discussion recently and their proof text was Revelation which says Jesus had hair as white as wool. And I said, well, that's eschatological. That has to do with last things. And it's talking about judgment. So it's using imagery for Jesus. And based on your interpretation, do you really believe Jesus has literally a sword coming out of his mouth? Because that's what the text says. Do you believe that his eyes literally are fire? Because that's what the text says. Do you believe his feet literally are bronze and not feet? They're bronze, right? This is imagery to convey purity, holiness, judgment. It's not saying his hair is white as wool, and his eyes are really fire, and there's really a sword protruding from his mouth. And they were like, and they was like, oh, okay, I understand it now. Thank you, they said. Like, thank you, you're welcome. But I think maybe it comes from culture. You know, there's a painting in the Sistine Chapel. It's a masterpiece by one of the greatest artists who's ever lived, Michelangelo, right? And we see that, and we say, yeah, that's a masterpiece. It's magnificent. I would love to go see that someday. But one thing it is not is, is biblical. It's not biblical in the slightest. This anthropomorphic view of God, make, making God look like man, right? And, and putting on white hair and the, and the long beard, long hair, it could come from culture. But people have this, this stereotype of who God is. And he's kind of this old man upstairs and curmudgeon and kind of angry and he'll reluctantly from time to time, if you annoy him enough, bless you with an answer to prayer. He'll throw you a bone, right? But that's not what Jesus says. 
Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You don't understand the heart of God. You don't understand the nature of God. The nature of God is good. The nature of God is that he is transcendent. He is not like you. He is holy. He is other. He is different from you. Isaiah bears that out. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways. Let them turn to the Lord. He will find mercy on them. To our God, he will fully pardon. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Jesus speaks to them about a God who is good, a God who is transcendent. And he ends with a summary verse, a conclusion verse that talks about the nature of Christ's followers, that we are called to live a life of love. In verse 12, he wraps it up and says, So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you love people, you won't kill them. If you love people, you won't steal from them. If you love them, you won't lie to them. If you love God, you won't take his name in vain, right? If you love him, you won't seek after other gods. You won't commit adultery. Love is the key. Love is going to be defining characteristics of my followers, Jesus says. When we love, we demonstrate our love to God. The best way to show God your love is to love people. When you love my children, you love me. When you love my grandchildren, you love me. And so when we love the people of God, we demonstrate our love for God. In fact, John says it's impossible to say you're a follower of Christ and not live a life of love. He says in 1 John 4, 20 and 21, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And that is the conclusion statement here, the summary statement for the Sermon on the Mount. It is what it means to live a life of love. I want to pray, and then we are going to talk about our response as a church to what's happening in Ukraine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the series we've been on, the, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount that we have been spending these last several months on, and just listening to the teaching of our Lord and, and realizing what you expect for people of the kingdom. And I ask you humbly today that we would be people of prayer, persistent prayer, transformational prayer, that Lord, as we pray as a church, as individuals, you will transform us from the inside out into your image, that we would rightly understand your nature, that you're good, that you're transcendent, and that we are called to be people of love. Lord, help us to be that as a church. Help us as individuals to live that kind of life that honors you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we get into the historical narrative and the, 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 the bookmark is say the word and my servant will be healed. We start to see Jesus now begin to perform so many miracles and begin to attract an even greater following and, of course, even greater controversy. So that's what we'll be at next week. 
I do want to talk a moment about Ukraine and what are we going to do as a church. And our response is twofold. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. And we've got two churches that we are going to be in communication with, one in East Ukraine and one in Czech Republic. And we have a member whose fiance attends that church. We're going to be getting some inside information on how to pray, uh, kind of bypassing the media and just getting it right from the people that are there and from the refugees that are coming across, what they're seeing and hearing. And we will, you, we will share those with our small groups. We will share that with our, our prayer team that goes out, the branch of the Lord. We will share those on our social media. Be praying for this specific need. I can tell you right now that the Ray and Cindy uh, LeClaire, longtime missionaries in Ukraine, uh, are now out of harm's way, but much of their staff is still in harm's way. They're staying at the LeClaire's homes. The LeClaire's have sought me and said, hey, if Ray's coming to Janesville, he's going to need a place to stay for about six months. I was just getting ready to send out a care news, and then they emailed me said, he's in France, but there's a 65% chance he's coming to Janesville, and we might need that home for about six months. So we'll work on that. I said, well, let me know when you're sure it's going to happen. But we're going to pray for the LeClaire's ministry, and we're going to uh, use these two churches as a means to disseminate a love offering that we're gathering as well. You know, there are a lot of good organizations and nonprofits, but that's where they get their living as well. And so not all the dollar you give goes towards the purposes that you're intending it to. Of necessity, they have to pay their bills too. And so some organizations, maybe 60 cents of a dollar gets there, Right. Some organizations, maybe 30 cents in a dollar, some more, some less. But through the church, we feel confident that 100% of what we give can be distributed to those refugees or to the people of the Ukraine. So we'll gather up the offering as an ongoing thing as long as this crisis lasts. And we will continue to, to get it to them, let them buy the blankets, let them buy the water, let them buy the food. Let them buy the medical supplies that they need to help these people. And we can know all the money that we give goes towards those in this crisis. And so we'll be working through those two churches, getting that information to you, giving money to them as best we can as it comes in. If you want to give towards the Ukraine offering, right now we did a makeshift box over by the butter braids on the way out, a big black box. You can put it in there. If you're online, hit the drop arrow, and you'll see General Fund, Phase 5, Ukraine. Okay? So you hit the drop arrow, and then you can give to the crane. If you're making a checkout, you make it out to Faith Community Church. And then we will give those churches the money, and then they will buy what is needed for those who are in crisis. All right? So let's stand together and close out our service, and we're going to pray for uh, a very... You know, this is not only a tense time for Ukraine and the surrounding areas, but for all the world, right? For all the world. You know, Putin has uh, just put on his, his nukes on alert. This is a tense time for the whole world. And so we're going to be praying for peace in Ukraine. We're going to be praying for peace for the world. Would you join me online? Would you join me as well? Father, our hearts ache right now for the people of Ukraine as we see them displaced, as we see 
families separated as they have to say goodbye to their fathers, their husbands, their grandfathers as the men stay to fight and the women and the children go to places of safety. And some of them travel for miles without food or water or shelter. Lord, the fear in the face of those little children, the people right now in harm's way who hear bombs and missiles soaring over their head, trying to calm their babies, trying to find shelter, trying to find in the subways and other places just a place to be safe. And they only long for the one thing that we long for, and that's freedom. And so we pray for the peace of Ukraine. We pray that war would cease. We pray for the peace of our world and the stability of Europe right now. As something greater, nothing's greater since World War II has happened in Europe. And so we pray for the peace of Europe that this aggression would not expand into the Czech Republic or into Poland or any other surrounding regions. But Lord, that it could be contained and defeated and stop and cease. And my prayer is that we as a church can come alongside the people of Ukraine. The people of Ukraine need us now. They need our prayers. They need our gifts. And Lord, we're, we're grateful for the open door with these churches that we have, that we can work directly with them to help those who are victims of war, to help those who are refugees from war. And Lord, open up the hearts of your people to give. Open up the hearts of your people to persistent prayer that we would ask, seek, and knock. And we're trusting you, Father, to bring peace to this region and to, this world, to our world. Help those who are hurting and suffering, those, Lord, in pain, those who've lost loved ones. Might they turn to Jesus as, as they look for meaning, as they look for help. Might they realize that the Prince of Peace reigns. And we're thankful for two churches that preach the gospel that we can work through. Two churches that are, are evangelistic in their area, that are, that are loving people around them with the truth of the gospel that we can work through. That literally this church in Janesville can make an impact in that part of the world. And so, God, we pray these things, and we will pray them persistently. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need prayer, please come forward so we can pray with you. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Community Church Podcast. We are glad that you joined us and hope that you were blessed by the message. If you would like to join us in the ministry of sharing the Word of God, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. This helps us build the analytics of the channel, allowing us to better reach people in the name of Christ. Go be the light in your family, your community, and your church. God bless you.